You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and guys... I am extremely excited about today's show. Heck, I'm excited about every single show we do because I get to come on here and talk Georgia sports, talk Georgia football, Georgia basketball, baseball, tennis, whatever it is, and that's what I truly love to do, so every show is exciting for me, but this show has got a little extra something for me today because don't look now, guys, but spring football practice. It's just around the corner, less than two weeks from today. I'm recording this Wednesday night. It starts Tuesday, March 15th. That is officially less than two weeks away. I know a lot of you are still floating around on your cloud of national and championship euphoria, and I don't blame you for a second. That's not criticism. I know that's what you're doing, and live it up, man. We've waited long enough, no doubt about it. I'm still kind of doing that myself a little bit too. And I know that none of you want to hop down off that high, and you probably aren't ready to start even thinking about the 2022 season, but at some point, we're going to have to. And spring practice is where we start that march towards the 2022 football season. And again, it's just a couple of weeks away. I'm excited about it, guys. I'm excited about it. And I'm excited that today on the show, I actually get to talk some on-field football stuff, which can be hard during the football offseason. And that's really, I mean, I just love talking Georgia sports in general, but really talking the X's and O's, the nuts and bolts, the players, all that kind of stuff. That's what I truly love to do. And I'm going to get a chance to do some of that today as I kick off our spring practice primer series. And today I'm going to open it with a look at the 2022 secondary. Curtis will be back with me next week, and we will preview the defensive front seven, the defensive line, outside linebackers, inside linebackers, all that great stuff. I'll also have a primer for you guys next week where I am previewing the receivers, tight ends, and quarterback, the skill position players, and then we'll wrap it up with a look at the big uglies up front along the offensive line and our running backs. So we got a, a series of four episodes here over the next two weeks leading up to spring practice that are designed to get you guys in that right from your mind, to get you guys ready for all the news that's gonna be coming our way, all the position battles, all that great stuff over the course of the month of March and into April leading up to G-Day, which I believe off the top of my head is April 16th. Let me double check that. Yes, April 16th, Saturday, April 16th. That is G-Day, so we have a lot of great stuff for you on the football front over the next couple of weeks. 
But before we get there, and trust me, I do want to get there, but really quickly, I first want to go back to Tuesday's episode where we spent the first half of the episode talking about the latest assistant coach hire, which is Stacy Searles, to replace Matt Luke as our offensive line coach. And I just want to take one more quick stab and explaining exactly what I think about the Stacey Searles hire. I had some people DMing me afterwards. This is the, the impetus for me doing this one more time. So I did have some people DM me saying like, dude, uh, I appreciate the conversation, but you're kind of talking yourself in circles. Like, what do you really think about it? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Like, where do you stand? And I even had the word wishy-washy thrown around a couple of times. Like, you're wishy-washy on it, man. And I get it, because I did say at first, like when I asked Curtis, what's the first word that came to mind when you saw the official news that Stacey Searles was going to indeed be our new offensive line coach. And he said his piece, I think he said surprised, maybe something like that. I think the first word that I said was underwhelmed, skeptical, those kind of things. But then after that, I listed out all his accomplishments, all his successes, kind of seemed like I was propping him up, like I was defending the hire a little bit, you know, saying it wasn't as bad as people thought. And so I think that's fair. I think that criticism is fair. It certainly is. And I'm a big boy. I mean, you run a podcast. You sometimes you just talk so much and you just, you do, you tend to just talk yourself in circles sometimes. I think I probably did a little bit of that here in this case. So let me just take one more very quick stab. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just kind of wrap it up into a nice little bow for you here. So I'll start with this. I still don't think the Stacey Searles hire is a dynamic hire. I do think it's a little underwhelming. I will stand by that. But here's what I would also say alongside that. I think it's a hire with a really high floor. I don't think Stacey Searles, as our offensive line coach, has as high of a ceiling as some of the other candidates that we had heard, at least thrown around, and that we had heard that had gotten some interviews. Guys like Eric Mateos at Baylor and some of the other names that we had heard. And that's where the underwhelmed part comes from. It's the fact that I just think that maybe we, we could have aimed a little higher with someone that had a higher ceiling. But that's not to say that Stacey Searles, as I said earlier in the week, is a disaster of a hire along the offensive line. I do not think he is a garbage hire like I've heard some, actually quite a few people say. Because honestly, among all the names of the guys that we were hearing kind of thrown around that they were in the conversation for this job, that were getting interviews, getting consideration, I do think Stacey Searles has the highest floor among all those guys. Even guys like like Mateos, the guy at Florida State, their, their offensive coordinator, even a guy like Nick Jones. All those guys had the potential to have a higher ceiling, but with potential, there also comes a lot of risk. So I think that Searles was the least risky hire with the highest floor, if that makes sense. And the reason I think he has a higher floor, the reason I think it's the the least risky hire that he could have gone with among the guys that that were prominently mentioned for the job is that Stacey Searles has shown that he can coach and that he can evaluate talent. Now, he's never proven to be like this lights out recruiter, and that's where I have concerns, but he's developed some good players. He's put guys into the league. Took a guy like Clint Bowling here, for example, in Athens, turned him into a really good player, a longtime starter in the NFL for the Cincinnati Bengals. Ben Jones is another guy that that he took and developed and put him into the NFL as a longtime starter in the in the league. And I will defend him by saying this when it comes to recruiting. I don't think he has that big time personality like Sam Pittman that makes him this kind of just dynamic recruiter, this this talent on the trail. I don't think he has that, but I think he has a really good eye for talent. And think about some of the names I just mentioned there. Ben Jones, right? Lightly recruited guy out of Alabama, ends up being an NFL player. He evaluated the guy, developed him. Cordy Glenn's another one. That's a guy that wasn't a highly recruited player back in the day, but he evaluated him, 
recruited him, got him in here, developed him. Cordy Glenn, another guy, multi-year starter in the NFL. Canarius Gates is a guy that wasn't highly recruited, but ends up you know, getting an offer from Georgia, comes here, was never maybe a superstar for us, but a good, solid player. Trenton Sturdivant, I mean, if it wasn't for, he was a more highly recruited guy, I will say that. But if it wasn't for the knee injuries, Trent Sturdivant was going to have a long year in the a long career in the NFL. I mean, he had a great freshman year, so he's shown that he can coach those guys up, develop them, and evaluate that talent. And the thing is, here in Athens, this is one of the reasons why again I think he has a high floor, and I think this could actually be at least in the short term could be a really good hire for us. Is we have a lot of talent along the offensive line on hand right now here in Athens. Sam Pittman and Matt Luke have combined to do a great job, more Pittman than Luke, but they've still combined to do a great job of loading up that offensive line room and loading up with a lot of young talent, guys like Broderick Jones, Marius Mims, guys like Tate Ratledge, Devin Willick, Cedric Van Pran, all these names that we remember from the recruiting trail, those guys are still really young. They're barely scratching the surface of what they can be. And I do believe a guy like Stacey Searles is the right kind of guy to bring in here and develop those players and get the, the most out of them. And I think that's where he excels. Honestly, that's where I think that Stacey Searles is better than Matt Luke. And that's why I think he has a high floor. I think he's a better developer of talent. I think he's a better offensive line coach from a technical standpoint than Matt Luke. At least he has shown through the course of his 30 plus career as an offensive line coach at the college level. So that's why I don't think it's a disaster of a hire. But the reason I think it's underwhelming, as I said, is I just don't think the ceiling is there because I have concerns about recruiting. I don't think he's that kind of guy like Sam Pittman is going to go into a room and just lock it down and lock down a recruit. I don't think he's going to build those kind of connections. I don't think he's just going to connect with the players on that level. I just haven't seen that from him throughout the course of his career. And that does concern me because I tell you guys all the time, I think that talent acquisition is the biggest key in the formula for success. I mean, there's, there's more than that in the formula of success, but I think that's the biggest ingredient, the most important ingredient. And so I have concerns more in the long term, like what is the, the offensive line room going to look like in three or four years? Like in the short term, those players are here as long as they don't transfer out. I think he's going to do a great job of developing them. And if you can put some of those guys in the league as high draft picks, maybe that helps him recruit more. And he does have a bigger brand to recruit with. I mean, I know he was here earlier in his career, but the Georgia brand's in a different place now with the national championship with Kirby Smart and all these number one classes, these highly rated classes that we're bringing in. It's just, it's, a, it's in a different place right now. I think he'll be able to get into living rooms that maybe he wasn't able to get into as consistently when he was here in the late 2000s uh, with Mark Rick. So I think that will help him a little bit, but the fact remains, he's not a dynamic recruiter. And I, I do wonder, I mean, his career, I mean, look at him, like, look at his resume. He hasn't stayed, I don't think anywhere in his career more than four years. So I mean, if you go by past history, he's not going to be here longer than three or four years. And when he leaves, what is the offensive line going to look like? Is it going to be at the same level as it is right now? Like when he got it, is he going to leave the offensive line room stronger or at least as strong as it was when he got it? That is my concern. That's my question. And that's why I think it's a little bit underwhelming, not a disaster. I'm, I'm open to the idea that he can do a really good job, especially in the short term, but looking into the future... That's where I'm a little bit concerned. But I, I do trust Kirby. I really do. I've said this many times. I almost implicitly trust him when it comes to staff hires. I think he's nailed just about every one of them. Not every single one, but the vast, vast majority of them. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt here and be patient and let it work out. And because and, I honestly, I know people ask me, well, can you give this grade a hire? That's, I got that question quite a few times. Like, grade this hire. Give us the A, B, C, D, whatever. On a scale of 1 to 10, I had a people ask me that. And I'm, I, I hate to do that because it's hard to grade the hire without more information. I mean, based off what we know now, I mean, I guess, like, 
a C higher if we're doing letters out of 10, like a six out of 10, seven out of 10. And it's just the recruiting front that, that, that does give me pause, give me concern there. So I hope that helps clear my position on the Stacey Searles higher up a little bit. If not, I mean, that's the best I got. So hopefully that helps. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But all right, guys, let's get to what I actually truly came here to do today. And that is preview spring football. That's the goal here today. We're going to kick off our spring practice primary series with a look at the defensive secondary. And look, when you're looking at the secondary, what I really want to focus on with this primary series are, are position battles more than anything. Who are we projecting to be those guys that are going to come in and like, you know, take spots that are, that are open. Like we have Darion Kendrick leaving. Who's going to take that cornerback spot? Lewis Cena is leaving. Who's going to take that that safety spot? I really want to focus in on that, but also potentially talk about some of the jumps that we can see for some of these guys who had played before, but might be in line, like maybe Keely Ringo for an even bigger jump in year two or year three. So let's go ahead and dive right in. And let's start with the cornerbacks. Obviously, we know that one cornerback spot is officially locked down. Keely Ringo, Mr. Pick Six himself, national championship sealer himself, he is going to man one of our cornerback spots. We know that. I imagine he will probably be penciled in to play our boundary corner, which he got some time doing last year. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a foregone conclusion. We don't even really need to spend any more time than what I just said right here discussing that. It's going to be Keely Ringo. What's far more interesting is who replaces Darion Kendrick, who did a fantastic job for us last year coming in from Clemson and wasn't here for spring practice, came in and right away became a leader on the team in that, in that back end and performed at a very high level for us. It was a big part of why we were able to win the national championship. Like We had serious depth concerns in the secondary. That guy was able to stay healthy and play at a high level for us all year. And now there's a hole there. We have a vacancy. That spot is wide the hell open going into spring practice. I mean, literally as wide open as it could possibly be because there was no rotation there. Like some of these positions we're gonna talk about throughout this primary series, there were guys that were rotating in. Like you have an heir apparent. I don't know if we necessarily have that guy. I don't think that we do have a guy that's just penciled in 
to be that guy that replaces Darion Kendrick because he played basically every snap there, you know, at least meaningful snaps. So I think it's truly going to be a wide open competition. And that's exciting for me because I think that's when the, the cream of the crop rises to the top. And that's, you know, Kirby always says iron sharpens iron, right? Obviously, he's not the only person to say that, but he says that a lot. And I think that's going to be the case here. I think it's going to be a hellacious competition. And I'm excited to see how it plays out and see ultimately who comes on, who comes out on top in that competition. But who are those guys that are going to be vying for that spot? Now, obviously, we have a bunch of young guys coming in this 2022 recruiting class and in the secondary to honestly battle for that job. We'll get to them momentarily. But at first, I want to focus on the guys who are here on campus, who were here last year, that have an opportunity to, to be that guy. And, you know, it's unfortunate a guy like Jalen Kimber transfers out and goes to Florida, of all places, because he, honestly, if he was still on the roster and had not transferred out, and I was doing this episode, he's the guy that I would be penciling as kind of like the heir apparent. Remember, he was the guy that was in the thick of the competition before he got injured last season. And he's a highly athletic kid. And I, I thought he would be a guy that would probably end up being that dude there, obviously Keely Ringo. But obviously he transfers out and it's not going to be him. Amir Speed transfers out, going to Michigan State to reunite with Mel Tucker. I mean, obviously there was some familiarity there. He's not an option. So we've got a bunch of guys with very, very, very limited experience on the roster that are going to be vying for this job. The guy at the top of my list right now is Kamari Lasseter. I think Kamari Lasseter and Javon Bullard are the two guys to really watch for there. Of the 2021 recruiting class, those were the players that got the most run last year. They got the most playing time. Still not very much playing time. Bullard played 14% of our defensive snaps last year and Lasseter played 16% of our defensive snaps last year. But those are the two guys of all those freshmen from last year in the secondary they played by far the most. And then you got like Nylon Green, who a lot of us thought might come in in the spring last year as an early enrollee and compete for the job. That's before we knew Darion Kendrick was going to be on the, uh, on the team. We were hopeful, but we didn't know. That dude played 1%. He played 11 snaps total, 1% of our defensive snaps last year, whereas last year had 158 snaps. Bullard had 138 total snaps. So I think those, if you're handicapping this position battle, I think those are the two names to look at first among the returning players because they just got the most playing time last year. And honestly, of the guys that we saw, I mean, we saw most of these guys. We saw Diamond Green a little bit, not much, but they were the ones who impressed the most. That's honestly why they got more playing time. Lavoisier Carroll's another guy that I was hopeful that could potentially develop into a really good cornerback. The word was he was actually going to be moving back to running back this year, but obviously he transfers out. He goes to South Carolina. That was kind of a little bit of a head scratcher. I guess, you know, if, he's, if he wasn't going back to running back, that's a pretty stocked position room. So maybe he just didn't see the... the the opportunity for playing time there, especially having to play DB last year. So he's gone. So I think of the guys who are here on the roster last year, Laster and Bullard are the two you got to watch for. Nylon Green is certainly going to be in the thick of the competition. I still think he's really, really talented. He's a little bit more raw coming out of high school. Laster was a, a more lightly recruited guy coming out of Alabama, but I really liked his high school. Tate Bullard is one of those guys also that just didn't do the, the camp circuit, that kind of thing, kind of flew under the radar. And He's a guy that if you watch his tape, go back. I mean, I know it's late now, but if you go back and watch his high school tape, you saw a guy that was a little bit raw, but had some tools, man, had the athleticism. He's a little bit smaller, but he's an aggressive player. He's got really good ball skills, very quick, got fluid hips, all the things you look for. So I think Lasser and Bull are the guys to watch for. Nylon Green's also certainly going to be in the thick of the competition. But they absolutely will not be alone in this competition because we signed one ridiculous DB 
class as part of this 2022 overall recruiting class. The problem is, as far as spring practice goes, only one of those guys is actually going to be here for the spring. We only had we had 18 early enrollees, which is like a record number for for this 2022 class. But only one of those guys was a cornerback, and that's Dalen Everett, the guy that was a was committed to Clemson for a long time at IMG. We flipped him late in the cycle, very late in the cycle. Five star prospect, top 30 guy nationally. I think he's got a lot of physicality, 6'1", 185, really good size, good athleticism. He's going to put himself right in the thick of the conversation, I think, this spring. Now, he's going to have his head spinning, certainly, but it benefits him. There's, there's two reasons why he's going to be in the thick of this competition right now. Again, there's very limited experience among the returners right now. There's no heir apparent, all right? That's number one. Number two, he's the only guy of this highly touted DB class in 2022 that's here right now, that's been going through workouts that will be there for spring practice. We have some other really talented guys like Jaheim Singletary and Julio Humphrey, but neither one of those guys are actually gonna be here this spring. So I don't really wanna include them in the conversation right now when we get into the summer and we get closer to fall camp. That's when we will start talking about those guys, but they're not gonna be here right now so they don't really fit in a spring practice primer episode so really for me when you're i mean there's just a limited number of guys honestly i mean you get, you've got bullard you've got lassiter you've got everett and you've got nyland green it's going to be one of those four guys that starts g-day as our starter opposite keely ringo it'll be one of those guys if i had to put my money on it right now i'm gonna say laster he got the most playing time last year he's the most experienced i think he has a lot of talent i know the coaches from talking to people on the program i know the coaches are very high on him but that's certainly not a done deal that's my projection that's who i predict right now but that's what practice is for these guys are going to develop they're going to compete and we're going to see who comes out on top at least coming out of spring going into the summer months and that takes us to the safety positions. Similar to the cornerback spot, we have an established returning starter. We have Chris Smith, who if you would ask me at the beginning of last year, I would not have said that he was in return this year. But his injuries, I don't want to say it's fortunate that he suffered some injuries, but in some weird roundabout way, it kind of is. Because despite the injuries that he suffered, we were still able to win football games and we were still able to win a national title, which is the ultimate goal. And then, oh yeah, out of bonus, largely because of those injuries and also because his draft stock wasn't all that high we do get a bonus year. We get a COVID year, a super senior year out of Chris Smith, which is really exciting. And I am actually really high on Chris Smith. I know that people don't talk about him that way, but I think Chris Smith played at a really high level for us when he came in for Richie LeCount back in 2020. I don't think he we really missed much of a beat at all with Smith coming in. I want to give him a lot of credit for being ready when his name was called, when his time came. You saw with Alabama, I mean, Saban, you know, he's crushing his own players, talking about how none of them were ready when the time was called and we lost games because of it. Yeah, we lost some games in 2020, but it wasn't because of Chris Smith. He did a really good job filling in for Richard LeCount. I thought he played really well last year. Obviously, remember the very first game of the year, we don't have Chris Smith making that play. We don't win that football game against Clemson with that pick six. So it's crazy, man. We just start the year and end the year with a pick six, man. Just crazy. Love it. But Chris Smith's back. And that's huge. That's his spot. He's got it. But with Lewis Seen moving on, just like with Darion Kendrick moving on, there is a vacancy at the other safety position. So who are the guys that are going to be competing for that spot? What is that battle going to shape up like? What's it going to look like? Who's going to be going against each other? I think a name that a lot of you might be rolling your eyes when I say this, but at the top of my list is going to be Dan Jackson. I know. Roll your eyes at me. I, scoff if you want. That's fine. Get it out of your system. Guys, Dan Jackson played at a really high level for us last year. Now, does that mean he was perfect? 
No, absolutely not. Does that mean that he didn't get burned here and there? No, absolutely not. I mean, a C championship game, he gets beat down the sideline and pull him right out and put Chris Smith in there, even though Chris Smith were trying to get away with not playing Chris Smith because obviously he wasn't 100%. You didn't see Dan Jackson much the rest of the game. But Dan Jackson, guys, is still a really young player. People don't realize that. People think he's just like one of these, like Stets has been a former walk-on who now is a senior, fifth-year senior guys, finally getting his time in the sun and his time to star. No, that's not the case here. Now, Jackson's been around for a little while. He was a redshirt sophomore last year, but he's still got plenty of time here to spend in Athens. And he basically had no experience coming into this year. I'd heard some people around town, some people around the program talking about him. They would tell me about this guy during spring practice last year. I was trying to get some information, trying to pump some people for some ideas and some things to talk about on the show and, and who was doing what. And you don't always get that much. But I, I kept hearing the name Dan Jackson. And I was like, what are you talking about? Dan Jackson, who is this dude? And then you watch him at spring practice. I was kind of, I was watching him at G-Day and I know most people weren't, but I was actually paying attention to him because I heard quite a bit about him and he kind of flashed a little bit to me in G-Day. And I didn't think he was going to have as much of an impact as he ended up having on our team. And that largely was due to injuries and just, you know, lack of depth there. But that dude made the most of his opportunities. Now, if Chris Smith didn't suffer the injury he did and missed some time last year where Dan Jackson got as much playing time, I don't know. Probably not. No. If Tyke Smith was 100% healthy, does Dan Jackson play as much? I don't know. I mean, really, when the season started, he he came in in our dime package, right? So what we did essentially is usually the dime package, you just bring in an extra DB. You bring in a sixth defensive back off the bench. We didn't do that. We had enough faith and trust in Dan Jackson. We thought he was better than whoever that sixth DB would have been, right? So we brought him in and put him at safety, and we used Lewis Seen as our money defender, right? As that extra 6DB, essentially, though he was already on the field. And that's different than what we had usually done in the past. In the past, we just kept our safeties at safety, and we bring in like an extra cornerback, right? That's traditionally what we'd done. But we felt that Dan Jackson was better than, than the next best cornerback. So he was playing in that role. And then obviously, when Smith went down with injuries, his, his role expanded. And I thought he played really, really well for us. And I know he's this guy as a former, I think he's actually technically still a walk-on who hasn't officially gotten a scholarship as far as I know, but I think that's that's coming. Uh, I think that's, com- I know that's coming as soon as I get a chance to do that. But this is kind of like Stets a bit, not your typical walk-on. Now, I actually think he's more athletic and has more physical talent than Stetson Bennett does. I know it's obviously different positions, but let's not shortchange Dan in, his, in terms of what he brings to the table from, as an athlete. He, he's not the most dynamic athlete. That's not what I'm saying, but he is plenty athletic enough to get the job done. And here's the thing that I think gives him a really good opportunity to come out of spring as that guy opposite Chris Smith. The coaches trust him. And you know, guys, Kirby Smart puts an absolute premium on that, especially in the back end, in the secondary, where one mistake, one blown assignment, one blown coverage, one poor play with eye discipline, you got your eyes in the wrong spot, that can result in a huge explosive play, put six on the board for the other team. Kirby wants to prevent that from happening at essentially all costs. Like That's really what he wanted to do defensively. And Dan Jackson is a guy they have a lot of faith in back there, that they just trust him to go out there and do the things he's supposed to do. Is he the most talented? No. The coaches know that. They understand that. But sometimes, as long as you're you're in the ballpark from an athletic standpoint and they can trust you that much more, that gives you a really good chance to play a lot of downs, which is exactly what Dan Jackson did for us last year. I mean, if you go back and look at the numbers, guys, Dan Jackson played almost 50% of our defensive snaps last year. He played 46% of our defensive snaps. 
455 snaps. So that's why I think Dan Jackson, if I had to handicap it right now, I will say I, he come, he starts G-Day as a, as a starter opposite Chris Smith at safety and exits the spring as a starter there. That's my prediction right now. Now, who are those guys that are going to be pushing him? The obvious one that comes to mind for me was a freshman last year. I'm very high on him long-term. David Daniel did not play a ton of snaps last year. Didn't get a lot of playing time. Had 11% of our snaps, 113 snaps. But when he got in there, it was not in meaningful situations, but when he got opportunities, I thought he flashed to me. I thought he was flying around the field. I thought he was bringing the wood, hitting people, an intimidator back there. Even though he's not that big of a guy, he was laying people out. I thought he covered ground really well. I thought he was rangy. So he's a guy that I do think has a higher ceiling than Dan Jackson. I think he's more athletic than Dan Jackson. And you know, give him a year or two, he will be that guy. And maybe it's as early as this year. He'll be pushing Dan Jackson right away. But I do think Dan right now is the guy that's the leader in the clubhouse as we sit here right now entering spring practice. Now, another name to watch here that I'm going to throw at you is Tyke Smith. Tyke Smith, we brought him in to be our star defender, right? That was the plan. Then he gets hurt in, in fall camp, and then he comes back, and then tears ACL, and it's terrible, right? And we just had issues there for large parts of the season without him at the star position. Had to rely on Latavius Brini, who, God bless him, did as best, as best he possibly could, but wasn't up to what we were looking for. That's why he was like MIA the last half of the season when things got real, right? And you bring in William Poole. So Tyke Smith, you think hey, that guy's going to be a star? Why are you talking about him with safety? Well, I think he's a guy that has potential to play both. I think he's in a cross train, I think, and he did last year before the injury. So he might be a guy, if we feel like William Poole is that guy at star. Guys, William Poole didn't come back just to come back. William Poole is coming back to compete for that job. He obviously ended the season as our starter at star, and he feels good and confident there, and he's going to come back and wants to claim that job again. So there's going to be a battle there. We'll get to star in a second. But I think Tyke Smith's flexibility to potentially cross-train at safety could give us an opportunity to play him there as well. So I think, honestly, he's going to be in that competition at safety and the star position. So it wouldn't shock me to see him make a move there at safety as well. Now, let's go to the, the early enrollees. The big name here that I am so extraordinarily excited about is Malachi Starks. This guy was the second highest graded guy in our recruiting class, top 20 prospect overall nationally, according to the 247 composite, five-star guy out of Jefferson, not too far from Athens, actually just down the road. Seen this guy play live, seen him play on TV. This guy's the truth. He is the real deal. Malachi Starks has the highest ceiling of anyone in the secondary right now. Like any, anyone on our team that plays in the secondary. And I, I think I include Keely Ringo on that. Like Keely would be the one that I would say would give him the best fight there among like who has the higher ceilings at Malachi or is it Keely Ringo? Right now, the guys that are on the roster and the early enrollees, Malachi Starks is that dude. I think he has that high of a ceiling. I'm that high on him long-term. But he's an early enrollee. How ready is he going to be to come in when his head's swimming in his first spring on campus to come in and truly compete for that job right now? I think that's very questionable. You just don't know. Like you just don't, it's hard to expect that. Sure, every now and then you have a Brock Bowers here and there, but you can't expect that. Those guys are few and far between. Now, I'm very open to the idea that Malachi Starks is that kind of unicorn type guy that can come in and just be your starter right away. Maybe. Because from a talent standpoint, it's not really a question. He is the guy. But again, it's a secondary. Curry puts a premium on trusting guys at all positions, but especially in the secondary, which is also a position he coaches. He's got a background there. 
So I just have a hard time seeing that right away. Now, maybe once we get into fall camp, he'll start to make more of a move. I think he's just going to get himself acquainted to what we do and learn how we actually practice right now. And that, that's part of what I think being an early enrollee really helps you. It's not so much in the spring where you start to make your move as an early enrollee. That ain't going to happen. But it's that you kind of get familiar with how we practice, what we do, what the expectations are. And that way, when fall camp rolls around, you're not learning everything for the first time like everyone else in the recruiting class is. You're almost a veteran in a way, at least a practicing. So you're going to hit the ground running in fall camp and maybe can make a move there. I just don't see it happening right now. I hope I'm wrong because I think his ceiling is extraordinarily high. I just don't know if I see it right now. And the Ja'Cory Thomas is a guy that I've kind of highlighted as a sleeper guy in this class. He's also a safety prospect, but same thing as I would say with Malachi Starks, just without Ja'Cory Thomas being quite as talented as Malachi and not having quite as high of a ceiling. But they'll, they'll compete. They'll be in the competition. They'll push guys, no doubt about it. But I do expect it to be Dan Jackson coming out of spring practice as the starter at the safety position. And that takes us to the final position in the second year to talk about today, which is the star position. Kind of mentioned a second ago, I think the leader in the clubhouse right now has to be William Poole with how he ended the season. It was rough against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. He hurt us quite a bit, but he was also put in a tough spot. This guy, as we said back at the time in December, has basically played no meaningful snaps his entire career here in Athens until like the SEC Championship game. And hey, dude, you're going to throw us in the starting lineup against the best team you played all year. Okay, cool. Thanks, coach. Thanks, man. Love the opportunity. But it, it was a tough go that first go around. But I thought he played really well. A big improvement a couple weeks later in the Orange Bowl against Michigan. And I thought he played outstanding. Not perfect, but outstanding overall against Alabama the second time around. I mean, I, I did a couple weeks ago. Actually, oh guys, a couple months ago now, I guess. Jeez, we're in March. But I, I did an episode following the National Championship game where I kind of laid out 10 plays I thought were the biggest plays in that game and one of those big plays was a third down stop late in the fourth quarter after we went up by one point with the touchdown pass to A.D. Mitchell and that was a huge play in the game and that was an outstanding play by William Poole I mean honestly it was about him watching film and understanding the route combination they were trying to run there in that situation but that's part of playing that position he made a great play on the ball didn't interfere with the defender didn't run through him didn't hold him anything like that just made a great play and that was a critical point in that game because that doesn't set up the touchdown to Bowers to put us up by eight and then eventually set up the the official sealing of the deal with the pick six by Keely Ringo and I thought that was a huge play in that game because Alabama absolutely was clearly still in the game they just needed a field goal at that point to come down and take the lead in that game so a huge play there and so I think he's going to be the leader in the clubhouse going into spring practice but Tyke Smith is going to be right obviously in the thick of the, comp of the competition being brought in last year to be that guy my question about Tyke right now is how healthy is he right so he tore his ACL about halfway through last year after he came back from the foot injury that he suffered in fall camp I mean it's even going to be fully cleared right now I honestly don't know that for sure at all so Honestly, it looks like it's probably going to be William Poole. I think Javon Bullard's a guy that played some there last year, so he'll probably get some cross-training at this time as well. But we're just thin on bodies there at this time. So I think right now it's probably going to be William Poole with Tyke Smith in the thick of the competition if he's healthy. I think Javon Bullard will, will do some cross-training there. I also would not be surprised to see Malachi Stark do some cross-training there. I think he's athletic enough. He's obviously big and powerful enough to defend against the run and fill those run fits. So that wouldn't shock me at all to see some cross-training there. But again, same thing goes for him at star as it did at safety. Is he ready to actually like make the move to be the starter at this time? I would certainly err on the side of no at this point. 
But with a guy that talented, you can never completely, completely count him out of the conversation. But all right, that's that's all the positions in the secondary, right? So there's your first spring practice primer for the 2022 spring practice that is kicking off again March 15th, which is less than two weeks from now. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, I'm back. And I'm not quite done yet. We're done with the spring practice primer. We'll, we'll do part two of the series next week with Curtis. But right now, before we get out of here, heading into the weekend, I just want to give a couple shout outs to some other programs on campus that are playing right now and playing lights out. So let's start with the men's tennis team. Just had a huge victory over Texas on Tuesday. It was a thriller, man. I was live tweeting the whole thing. I know not many people were, were paying attention to that because it was at 2.30 on a random Tuesday, but I'm going to be doing that all season long. I'm on a mission from God. I told you guys that last week. I am going to try every avenue possible, do everything that I can within my power. I'm a nobody. I get it, but I'm still going to do everything within my power, nobody or not. It's not going to stop me from trying to promote one of the best programs, two of the best programs on campus would be the men's and women's tennis programs. So the men, great game, great match, 4-3, came down to the final match, the final singles match. We actually won the doubles point, which would end up being huge, as Charlie and I told you would be uh, earlier in the week when we did our preview for both the men's and women's tennis teams going into uh, SEC play here, which starts this week. But it came down to Hamish Stewart, who's now playing court one for us. And he came up huge, man. And match point, I tweeted out. I think Manny Diaz, Coach Manny Diaz, tweeted this out too. Go look at my my feed, guys, if you haven't had a chance to watch the, the final match point. It was an incredible display of talent, effort, and just guts. He was running all over the court. And there were multiple points in, in that point or multiple shots from his opponent where I was like, there's no way he's going to get to that ball. There's no way. That point's over. But he got to the ball. He kept it in play. And he played great defense. And he turned that defense into offense and closed it out with, with a passer as the Texas player was approaching the net. And boom, match over. Dogs win 4-3. So that gives the men a lot of momentum heading into the SEC opening weekend. This weekend, we're on the road. Uh, the guys are playing at Vanderbilt at 3 o'clock on Friday. And then at Mississippi State at 2 o'clock on Sunday. I'll tweet out all the information, the live stats, the live video, all the stuff that you need to keep up with what's going on. You can just follow me on Twitter at glory underscore UJ. We'll have you covered there. But it's actually the ladies, the women who are in town at home this weekend opening up SEC play against Ole Miss on Friday at 3 p.m. I know that's a tough time to get to a match. I get that. But on Sunday, we're also hosting... Mississippi State got the Mississippi swing this weekend. Got Mississippi State coming to town at one o'clock on Sunday. Weather should be nice. So bring the family out. It's totally free. Enjoy the match. I, I think both teams, the women and the men, are both national title contenders. Got a long way to go, but I think they both have the talent to get there. So come out and enjoy some tennis fun this weekend. 
And I also got to about the baseball team, guys. Big shout out to the Georgia baseball team kicking off the 2022 campaign 8-0. We got Georgia Tech this weekend. We're doing a little bit differently this year. We usually play them like three separate random like midweek games. This year, we're actually doing a weekend series with them, but it's not all in Athens. It's not all in Atlanta. We have uh, one game in Athens, which is actually going to be the Saturday game, and we play in Atlanta at Tech on Friday, and I believe it's the Gwinnett Braves or whatever they're called. Not the Braves anymore. What are they? The, the, some sort of fish, right? Some sort of fish. Striper. There you go. They're the Stripers, right? So at that stadium in, I think it's what, Lawrenceville? So it's a three-game three series against Tech over the weekend, but all over the state, in Atlanta and Athens and Lawrenceville. But that's that's huge, guys. That's, we've gotten off to a great start. The pitching, John Cannon has been lights out uh, for, what, six and a third innings. Had a no, had a perfect, not a no-hitter, but a perfect game going uh, last Friday against Akron. Our bats have been as good as I thought we could be to this point. I thought that we could have the best offense in the Scott Strickland era, and it's shaping up to look like that. We haven't been perfect on the offensive end, but I think we've got some guys that can actually bring more pop to the lineup, up and down the lineup. I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not sure we have like a weak point in our lineup right now, which is certainly something you couldn't say about most of Scott Strickland's teams in the past. So the Diamond Dogs have gotten off to a really hot start. And finally, we'll close it out here with the Lady Dogs who are going into the SEC tournament in Nashville this weekend. We ended up getting the sixth seed. We kind of screwed ourselves. We lost to the worst team in the league, which is Auburn. Uh, what was it last week on the road? And that hurt us. That dropped us down to the sixth seed, which means that if we win our first drive matchup, which we should, it's either going to be Auburn the 14th seed or Alabama, the 11th seed. We should be either one of those teams, though we lost to Auburn the first time around. If we win that first round matchup, we have to play Tennessee in round two. That sucks. If we were the five seed, which Florida is, we beat, we split with Florida this season, but if we were the five seed, we would have to face Ole Miss potentially in the second round, which is a team that we already beat. Ole Miss is good. They're not as good as Tennessee. So that kind of screwed us there. Although I will say, if we can get past Tennessee, we wouldn't have to face South Carolina, who is virtually unbeatable more or less until the championship game but Tennessee we, we played them tough at home earlier in the year it's still gonna be a really tough game because they're very very good but I like this Lady Dogs team we have some veterans that I wasn't expecting to come back that actually came back with point guard Q Morrison and center Jenna Stady. Uh, Stady actually was named to the all SEC first team earlier this week so I want to give her a ton of credit there. Michaela Coombs, I want to give her some credit as well. She was named SEC Women's Scholar Athlete of the Year. An incredible honor. And it's just a really fun team to watch. Q is so fun to watch. She just plays so hard. Stady is awesome. She's got the inside game, the outside game. She can knock down the three. I love watching Sarah Ashley Barker. That girl plays 100,000 miles an hour at all times and can also knock down the three. So we've got a, a fun team, a really scrappy team that plays really hard. Are we the most talented team in the SEC? No, we're not. I mean, obviously, South Carolina is more talented. Tennessee is more talented. I think you make the argument that LSU is more talented as the two seed. But we've got plenty of talent. we got enough talent to go out there and beat some of these teams. Like, we played Tennessee really close. We had a chance to beat them. We played LSU relatively close. So I am very excited to see what they can do this weekend, see if they can make some noise and make a run in the SEC tournament like we did last year, guys. Don't forget, last year, we made it to the championship game of the SEC tournament before falling just a little short against South Carolina. We actually played them really tough in that game as well. So it'll be a lot of fun this weekend. You can follow that all weekend long on ESPN. We'll be covering it as well on our Twitter account. So you can follow it there. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for me officially, officially today 
on the Glory UGA podcast. I really appreciate you guys sticking with me here. I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. We will continue on, march on with our spring practice primer series next week as we move closer and closer to the start of spring practice in just a couple of weeks. So have a great weekend. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.